Imagine if you could sit down at your desk in the morning, piping hot coffee in hand, you could pop open your laptop, double click on a document on your desktop that says life plan, so you could check on what's happening this week, this month, or even this year. Well, I wanna help you create that plan. Let's spend five days together making a roadmap for your future so that you can live all the rest of your days on purpose. Yes, you can own the future that's coming your way. The five-day Own Your Future Challenge is absolutely free to join, and I've got a spot with your name on it. Don't let another week, month, year, or even decade pass you by without owning the vision for who you want to become and the impact you want to make while you're alive. This is five free days of learning from incredible world leaders, helping you to uncover who you truly are and leading you to craft a roadmap and set goals aligned with the future meant for you. This is important. Join me and other amazing global leaders and experts to help you own your future starting May 11th. You can join right now for free at jennaschallenge.com. That's jennaschallenge.com for the five-day Own Your Future Challenge. I can't wait to see you there. You're listening to The Gold Digger Podcast, episode number 206. Let me tell you, I feel a little starstruck with today's interview. You may know her for her subtly edgy designs and her industry-leading luxury handbags, accessories, footwear, and apparel all around the world. Gold Diggers meet Rebecca Minkoff, the person behind the gorgeous bags. She launched her brand in 2001 with an iconic capsule collection that landed her on The Tonight Show and became an overnight sensation. Today, Rebecca Minkoff is a global lifestyle brand that spans ready-to-wear handbags, accessories, footwear, jewelry, and watches, even more. And she's in over 900 stores worldwide. As an industry leader, she is also an industry disruptor, pushing the boundaries of fashion and tech. And today I invited her on the show to share the real story of how she took her name and her talent and turned it into a total empire. This show is really special. But before we dive on in, let me read you the review of the week from Q Tahi. It is titled Absolutely Amazing. It says, this podcast has really helped me with finding my truth and being authentic in my own business. I cannot begin to express all the emotions I feel just thinking about how this podcast has been a godsend. And no one told me about this. I just stumbled upon it one day, listened and instantly fell in love. I am so happy to have found Jenna. Please never stop being you and sharing your yoga pant wearing mac and cheese loving self with the world. Thank you so much for this review. And guys, if you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to the show. Just hit that little button and that way every time a new episode drops, you will be the first to know. It really helps us just keep on growing and getting the word out. And of course, if you love the show, share it with someone you love. Like how cool would it be to push this episode or any past show to someone that's special to you? Because you guys, you're so special to me. Speaking of special, let's dive on into today's interview with Rebecca Minkoff. You're listening to the Gold Digger Podcast, where we firmly believe that work doesn't have to feel like work. Self-made millionaire and marketing guru Jenna Kutcher will help you redefine what success looks like. It's time to hear from the experts, listen in on honest conversations, and learn the best tips and tricks that helped others pave their own way and craft their dream career. 
If you're ready to dig in, do the work, and tackle your biggest goals, you're in the right place. Here's your host, educator, photographer, and mac and cheese lover, Jenna Kutcher. Thank you to Living Proof for supporting today's episode. Visit livingproof.com slash golddigger and use promo code golddigger to get a free sample of their award-winning dry shampoo with your purchase. That's livingproof.com slash golddigger, promo code golddigger for a free sample of dry shampoo with your purchase. We're so grateful The Neat Company is supporting Gold Digger. The Neat Company provides small businesses, accountants, and bookkeepers a cloud-based expense and document management system. For a 30-day free trial, visit neat.com slash golddigger. That's N-E-A-T dot com slash golddigger. Special thanks to our next sponsor, Poshmark, for the Gold Digger love. Download the free Poshmark app and shop millions of closets for great deals on the brands you love. Poshmark is giving Gold Digger listeners $5 off their first purchase. Use code GOLDDIGGER5 when you sign up. Download the free Poshmark app and enter the code GOLDDIGGER5. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. I am so excited to have you. I'm a giant fan, so this is really a treat for me. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on. Okay. So for people who live under a rock and don't know who you are, I kind of want to hear the story because looking at the amazing highlight reel of your career, I can only imagine that it took a lot of hard work and time and dedication to get to where you are today. So how did you get your start? Did you always know you wanted to do this? And what was that journey like that has led you to the big things that you're doing nowadays? So I actually got the sewing bug when I was around eight years old. I wanted this dress and my mom refused to buy it for me, which is nothing new. We were kind of raised with this mentality of if you want something, you have to do it yourself and figure it out, which sucks when you're eight. Um, (laughs) But nonetheless, she taught me how to sew and I really began to love the process of it that I could create something. And then as I got more into it and as I was going through puberty, you know, I guess I had the opposite of being bullied for being too thin. And so I had a lot of trouble finding clothes that would fit and I was really scrawny. And so being able to also like go to a thrift store and adjust my own clothes really gave me a lot of confidence just because it was so hard to find clothes that would fit me. I I wish that was the case still. So I just began to really do it all the time. And then where I grew up half in San Diego and half in Florida, there was a performing arts high school. And I was there as a dancer and in typical mean girl fashion, the teachers said, you're too tall. You ruined the symmetry of the performance. You should be in the back. And what ended up happening was I spent, you know, instead of electives, you had your chosen field. So four hours a day, I was in in the costume room, designing, learning how to do patterns, draping, and really then knew that this was something that I was more, it wasn't just a hobby. It was something I wanted to pursue. So after four hours a day, every day for four years, I didn't feel like I wanted to go to school right away. And my parents have never been one to push school on any of us. My brother happened to know very, like, you know, as a friend, but not a close friend, a designer who lived in New York and he connected us And the designer said, yeah, I have interns all the time. You can come up to New York and be an intern. We pay, you know, $4.95 an hour. (laughs) And I said, I'm moving. 
And I said to my parents, all right, you've got to get me an apartment. They said, no way you can figure it out. So I called my friend who was at Fordham and I said, can I stay with you and see if this is for me? And he said, yeah. So he, he would sneak me into the dorm room every day after work. <laughs> and I started at this company in what year was it? It was 1999. So I was 18 years old and I started working and the CEO at the time was really sick of having these interns that she just thought were like dumb, pretty girls that the designer would allow into his office. So she was really hard on me at first. And I proved to her that I wasn't dumb and pretty and that I was a real hard worker. And from there, she really began to teach me the ins and outs of the business. So I had my normal like things that I had to work on, but then she would put me in different departments and really give me, you know, a view of all the aspects of the fashion industry. So about six months after that, I got hired by them full time and, you know, slowly got myself into the design room and then became associate designer and stayed there for about three years. And back then there wasn't the interweb to (laughs) distract anyone from work or there wasn't any, you know, cell phones except for like, you know, when you had to text all the letters, you know, to tap yes. like a few times. <laughs> so when I would get all my work done, cause there was a finite amount of work, I had all this free time on my hands. And so she would allow me to work on my own collection. And I came up with a five piece collection. I had a little mini fashion show on uh, September 10th, 2001. I was really excited about it. Obviously the next day, everything changed. And I decided you know, one of the pieces in the collection was this I Love New York shirt that I had cut up and kind of customized. And I had sent it to an actress who was a family friend on September 9th. And so she wore it on the 13th on Jay Leno. She said my name. And it was this wild, like, this wild phenomenon that, like, I couldn't make enough shirts. (laughs) I gave all the profits to charity. And I ended up not selling any of my five piece collection, but selling only this t-shirt for about nine months. That's all I did was like, I would bike down to canal street, pick up the shirts. Bedazzling was a trend at the time. So I'd go get, you know, iron on crystals and iron on these damn crystals, which I never want to look at again (laughs) on the heart of these t-shirts and then sell them to like, it was one of the first e-commerce websites for shopping for women. And so what it did was it wasn't a successful business opportunity, but it got my name out there in such a way that I was able to then call stores after they had received the shirt and it had sold well and really just say, Hey, I don't just have a shirt. I have a collection, you know, will you take a look at it? So I bumbled along for about four years, not making any money, making a ton of mistakes, like getting my stuff made in a factory where the gentleman whose factory it was would smoke inside the factory and shipping it to this incredible store in LA and having the owner call me and say, everything smells like cigarette smoke. What's wrong with you (laughs) to just running out of fabric because I would buy all my fabric locally and I would show it in one sample. And then by the time I got my orders and I went to like go, sew the next batch of orders, they would have run out of the fabric. So subbing fabrics, it was, it was pretty nightmarish. And I paid the bills by being a stylist which is another story in itself, which I'll spare. And then decided in 2005, I said, I really want to do a handbag as an accessory to the collection. I had no idea that it would become what it did. 
a friend of mine worked at Daily Candy, which back again before, you know, the true, you know, internet as we know it today was like, if you were on Daily Candy and you got mentioned, like your business went through the roof. So she wrote about it. The bag sold out. I think the store had bought 12 pieces. Bag sold out. They called. They said, we want 75. I had no idea how to even afford to pay for 75. So that's when I called my dad and I was like, hey, I finally have some success. I'm not a loser anymore. Can you help me? And he said, no, absolutely not. But your brother might be able to help you. So that's when my brother got on the phone and was kind of my just my one phone call of advice every week. And he would walk me through, you know, starting a proper bank account and getting a tax ID number and just things that I had no idea needed to happen. And you could see that there was this heat around this bag and then people like the next one and the next one. And it was just this momentum that was really nice to have, not just me pushing it forward, but like this surge of other people also pushing it forward. And so you know, slowly but surely we, you know, I got an intern we hired her. We worked out of my apartment because no one would give us a loan and no one would give us a lease. You know, one trusted that we'd be in business long enough. So when we finally outgrew my apartment and my boyfriend at the time would be on the couch wanting to watch TV, you know, in the morning before work and I would have my employees there. When it finally got really awkward, I, I convinced my landlord to rent us an apartment that was just going to be the office in the same building. So my commute to work was out one building into the next, right next door. And we had a very small office, fit like four people. And that was kind of the humble beginnings. When we had our first sample sale, it was there. People thought it was a scam. (laughs) They came in, they walked into like, if you're not from New York, you have to visualize sometimes there's buildings of four clumped together and there's like an internal unusable empty space in the middle. And the sample sale was in this like ghetto, you know, I set up some card tables. I put the bags in the card tables and I had women come in through the office, down the steps, and there were lines around the block. So it was a really fun time. It was really exciting. And then in 2009, we launched ready to wear and then shoes and then jewelry. And then now we're launching eyewear in October. So it's been an aggressive growth plan, but my brother, who's usually right most of the time, you know, really felt like if we didn't expand into other categories, then we would get pigeonholed into just being in handbags so that it was really important that we sort of, even if it's uncomfortable and even if it means we, you know, sacrifice other things that we should grow into a, into a multi-category brand so that in the customer's eye, we stand for a lot more than just bags. So that's kind of in a nutshell, the the path. I love that. There are so many things that you just said, and I'm like dying to ask you questions. So my first question is this, you come up with this little capsule collection, which you probably worked so hard on, and then a t-shirt makes it big. Were you kind of bummed or were you just excited that anything was taking off at that point? Because it probably wasn't your favorite work at the time, but it was work. You know, I was bummed, but also with 9-11 happening, mm-hmm. you know, priorities were like, what do we do, you know, in this city that I love that just happened and, you know, all these people are lost and it's just a chaotic time. So I was just happy, you know, I was bummed, but I was happier that like I was doing something to contribute mm-hmm. to helping. I love that. So I think that that overrode it. 
And I was just also happy, you know, nine months later that I could call a store and they're like, we don't know why we know your name, but we know your name. So we'll let you come show us the rest of your collection. That's amazing. And I think a lot of times too, like in your story, I feel like there are certain things that just took off like the bags and I'm totally from the Midwest. So I think we say the word bag weird, but were you shocked when just certain things took off or did you kind of have a hunch that would happen? Because I feel like a lot of times when you're creating and you're creative, you're putting so much energy and time into what you think is going to be the best seller. And sometimes the people speak and it's something totally different. You know, I think you always hope that everyone wants what you want and sometimes they do. And that's incredible when that happens because you're like, (laughs) I was right. And a lot of the times you're like, why, why did you choose that over this? So I think, you know, we do a lot to ensure that we're listening to our customer and her opinion is far more important than mine. So if she likes it and she's happy with it, then I'm happy. That's awesome. So I'm going to guess your brother still works with you then, right? Yep. He oh is my the gosh, CEO. That's incredible. So what has that relationship looked like? Because I feel like just like you, a lot of creative people struggle with like the business side of things, the accounting, the legal stuff, all of that. So what is his role and what is your role and how do you guys work together? So he, you know, it really evolved. He was just originally giving yeah. me advice. Then he was flying up once a month. Then he was flying up every five days. And then I was like, dude, when we hit 20 million, (laughs) like, I think it was 10 and then he still wouldn't move. But I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I really need you to be here because this is a lot of money that we're getting in sales. It sounds like a lot of money. Like we're making 20 million. We know profit margins. (laughs) You just newsflash to anyone. When you make 20 million in sales, you make $0. That's so insane. even though it was a lot of money in sales, I, you know, it was just intimidating. And I needed someone who had great business savvy to really help through all the difficult decisions that are made. If a store wants to return something or, you know, when you see stuff on sale at a department store, guess what? We're paying for that to go on sale. So like there's a lot of negotiations and things with the factories and just business things that just were not necessarily my skill set at the time. Having done this for the last 13 years now, I could do those things. But at the time I was just designing and that's all my energy was going into. So, you know, as we, so we had very defined lanes in the beginning, you know, he was just business. I was just design. And as we've both learned each other's areas good or bad, we both have very strong opinions in each other's areas. So, you know, most of the time we get along and other times <laughs> we fight and that's okay. Business partners fight and brothers and sisters yeah. definitely fight. So, you know, we just try and put everything, you know, everything for the business first and we'll sort out our differences, you know, when we, I when love we that. The free Poshmark app is like peeking into thousands of closets and shopping the looks and brands you love for way less than the retail prices. Seriously, the deals are insane. I just found a pair of Hunter Wellington boots brand new without tags for $90. 
And I love that if I spot something I like, I can make the seller an offer and maybe even score a better deal. Poshmark is filled with high-end brands from Fry, Patagonia, Madewell, Lily Pulitzer, and more, plus tons of everyday labels that probably already make up your entire wardrobe. You can even shop vintage looks too, all from the app without ever leaving your couch. Make way for your new items by selling what you don't wear anymore in your own Poshmark closet. Snap a few photos, add a description, and start making a little cash to fund your new shopping habit. Shipping is super fast and super simple. It's the easiest way to buy and sell fashion items. Poshmark is giving Gold Digger listeners $5 off their first purchase. Use code GOLDDIGGER5 when you sign up. Download the free Poshmark app and enter code GOLDDIGGER5. You know I'm a numbers girl, but bookkeeping can be time-consuming and stressful, and it takes time away from the other important parts of my business. The Neat Company can help you streamline your accounting process with its cloud-based expense and document management system. Neat extracts key information from your documents, provides real-time insights, and eliminates time-consuming data entry into accounting system using their patented ID2 technology. Here's how it works. You can snap a photo of a receipt from your phone or scan, email, or directly upload into documents. Then Neat reads the information off of the paper, puts it in a database in the cloud, and integrates it with your accounting systems. The technology intuitively classifies documents and populates key data fields to help you organize and categorize financial information. You can access your documents from any device, so it's a true efficiency hack for entrepreneurs and small businesses. For a 30-day free trial from The Neat Company, head to neat.com slash golddigger. Again, get your 30-day free trial. Visit neatneat.com slash golddigger. Raise your hand if you're a member of the three-day hair club. Or maybe even longer. Let's be real. Because if you're like me, I try to milk one hair wash for as long as I can. Great products totally help me out. And I'm loving the dry shampoo from Living Proof. Living Proof tackles the toughest beauty challenges with technology from MIT scientists. So you know you're dealing with science and not just marketing gimmicks. From frizz to damage to fullness, Living Proof products do exactly what they claim to do without using things like silicones and parabens and or animal testing. I love their award-winning dry shampoo because it actually cleans your hair. Unlike other dry shampoos on the market, Living Proof doesn't just mask oil, sweat, and odors, but it removes them completely, leaving your hair looking clean, fresh, and ready to take on the day. It's no wonder they've won eight Best of Beauty Breakthrough Awards. Living Proof is delivering results that you can see from across the room. Make the switch to Living Proof today by visiting livingproof.com Gold Digger and use the promo code Gold Digger to get a free sample of their award-winning dry shampoo with your purchase. That's livingproof.com slash Gold Digger, promo code Gold Digger for a free sample of dry shampoo with your purchase. Livingproof.com slash Gold Digger, promo code Gold Digger. So I'm curious to know, like, what has been the most challenging season? I mean, you've been at this for a very long time. And I feel like sometimes when we look back, we can kind of remember those seasons where we were ready to throw in the towel or we were thinking, what did I get myself into? Is there any particular times in your journey where you look back and you're like, that was the worst, but I made it through? There's been too many <laughs> for this podcast. <laughs> Man, I mean, there was 
There was a time, I think, you know, when we launched apparel, we really thought that in order to have industry credibility and industry respect, we had to make collections that were like runway worthy and editorial, which means they should be on the pages of a magazine, like in a photo shoot. Well, guess what? No one wears those clothing, (laughs) that clothing, unless you're going, you know, you're a blogger and you're going to wear it and then take it off. And buyers don't buy that clothing. So I think we spent and wasted a lot of money in the first, I would say, five years of this rat race of trying to be part of this thing that was just not what we were meant to do. Here we are making very saleable, affordable bags. And then our clothing is a fantasy. Our former president of the company called it fantasy (laughs) football. She's like, stop with the fantasy football and the fancy runway shows and the, you know, the finale dress that no one can buy. And, you know, I fought it really hard. And then I would get my personal order and I'd be like, I can't wear this. Where am I wearing this to? So I think when we finally said, let's make real clothes for real women, you know, in their every day, that was this moment of like, why didn't we do this from the beginning? We could have avoided a lot of um, loss of money. We could have avoided a lot of confusion around the customer or her feeling alienated. And so I think that was one of the, maybe regrets, not the right word, but that was one of the mistakes that like, I'm like, what was I holding on to? This idea that I was going to be a Vogue (laughs) darling? Well, guess what? I'm not on... I'm not on Anna's list and that is okay, but I think holding on to that too long was something I wish That I is done. amazing advice. I it made me think whenever I watch Project Runway, my husband will walk in, and he's like, "What are those people wearing?" And I'm like, "Oh, it's so couture or whatever." And you know, it's like I live my everyday life in basics, you know, I look at creating capsule wardrobes for myself so that I can just throw on a few things and look decent. But it is so funny, too, because I feel like a lot of times in careers, we want to impress our peers more than like speaking to our ideal client. And a lot of times that can cloud our success. So I kind of want to know in your terms, who is your girl? Like, who are you creating for? Because I have a hunch that a lot of people listening are your girl. I think our girl is every woman. You know, I think we've been marketed to as women for so long as be bold, be brave, be ambitious, be beautiful. And I think that we're Mm -hmm. way more complex and multidimensional and multifaceted than that. And so our woman is someone who is a partner, a worker, you know, a volunteer, a homemaker, a mom, like you know, there isn't just one woman for our brand. And we try and make products that really do fit all women and the different facets of life, you know, that they need some, you know, a great crossbody or a backpack or a great leather jacket, you know, all the things we kind of are known for. So I think, you know, my goal is to speak to lots of women and not pigeonhole into like, if you don't fit into my mold, then you don't get to be Mm -hmm. part of the club. So I think, you know, we've tried to also make our price points very attainable offering things from like 175 all the way up to four, 425 at the high. But, you know, as some women, you know, climb, you know, the corporate ladder or get more successful, I wanted to be able to offer something a little bit more, you know, at the top level of, you know, more expensive leather or something with more studs, but then also never forget like where I came from. You know, when I first started, I couldn't leave the house to go out with my friends before I ate and I, you know, drank at the house and then I would go out and have like (laughs) water. So that feeling of, Oh my gosh, I don't have enough money to like go enjoy New York city. 
has never left me. And so I got to make sure I don't forget about that girl who's maybe just moved here and is just starting out and has similar financial constraints. I think that's awesome. And I feel like that part of your story just gives you perspective like that you will never lose. That will always be valuable. So I want to know, I mean, like I said, I watch Project Runway. It's probably really weird having a show based on your industry. I'm a photographer. I'm a podcaster. There are no TV shows about the process of the work that we do. What is one thing that nobody knows about the fashion industry that you wish you could set the record straight on? (laughs) Share away. Give me Um, more than one if you want. (laughs) I think that when you hear about what a designer charges, you imagine that they're putting all of that in their pocket and that they're flying around (laughs) on private jets and everything's perfect and awesome all the time. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of layers that go into by the time you make a bag and sell it and import it and pay duties on it and then get it to your store, there's, and then the store maybe needs help selling it or you have to pay for an ad in that store's catalog is not an option when they say we would love to feature you (laughs) in our catalog. And you know that that's $40,000 that you have to pay to be luckily and, you know, lucky enough to be featured. So I think there's a lot, you know, behind the Instagram and the slick website that people just don't realize. So when we do say like, this is a price that's accessible, some people still are like, no, it's not. But I'm like, you have no idea what goes into this. And like how long my brother and I said, Let's take a hit on the margin. Let's not make it so that a woman can't afford it. And if we make money someday, that'll be great. So I think, you know, there's that rumor, I think, or not rumor, there's that sort of myth. I think I would love the fashion industry to be more inclusive, whether it's ethnicity, body type, you know, not everyone is a zero and flat chested. And so I think, you know, to start using more real women would be really nice. love that. I love that. I've been watching New York Fashion Week to see which designers are doing that because it is so inspiring when you see that and you see just different representations of beauty. I think it's incredible. Yeah. I mean, look at what's been mostly marketed to us has been like blonde haired, blue eyed, you know, size zeros for a lot of our lives. And I think that with social media, you've seen often forgotten about or not talked to different groups of people suddenly have a community where they were isolated before. And so I think it's allowed us to say, we don't want to just look at beauty as one thing. Beauty is many things and it's very diverse. And so let's celebrate that. So at the beginning of your story, you shared about how you donated all the proceeds from your New York shirts. And I know that you support and give back in so many ways. Can you share a little bit about how you started to tie impact into your business model and how that's kind of transformed as your business has grown? Because I think it's so inspiring for others. Yeah. So it started with the shirt and the proceeds going to the Red Cross after 9-11. And then I guess I would say there was a pause of the charitable aspect. And a lot of my personal donations were going to different charities. And I was on, you know, part of different bigger activations. And that was something that I just was committed to personally, because I knew the business as we began to grow, it was not at a place that it could begin to give back. So when we were at a place where we were finally able to do that, you know, I think it was also becoming a mom that for me, you start 
looking at the world that your children are going to inherit. And that began to eat away at me in a way that nothing else had before. And so it became really important to me to like find different ways to give back. So whether it was, you know, partnering with Jessica Alba on a diaper bag and the proceeds went to go to Every Mother Counts, Christy Turlington's foundation, and also 100,000 diapers donated to women in New York City who, you know, don't have the funds to buy diapers to designing a bra with bravado that, you know, half a million dollars worth of bras went to breastfeeding moms. And then as a company, you know, we began to say, okay, how can we actually impact this in an easy way? And I remember I woke up, this was two years ago, a few days before our fashion show and the attack in Nice had just occurred. And I was sick to my stomach. Like, why is there a shooting or someone driving a van? You know, it's now becoming normal, sadly. And I was like, I can't just have a show. You know, we got to find a way that we can give back in a big way. So that was kind of the beginning of, was not a strategic plan. It was just out of my gut to let's partner with a different charity each season when when we have tons of eyeballs on this brand or more eyeballs than normal let's partner with a charity and give back so that one was not on our watch and the proceeds from our leather jackets that went down the runway went to that or the next season it was I am that girl and so each season we kind of pick a different charity that I feel like ties into what's happening globally or at least in in the United States and figure out a way that we can be helpful. And so this season we have our I am many shirt and our I am many campaign. And so we actually asked some well-known celebrities and influencers to pick their charities. So Emmy Rossum is really passionate about, you know, the potential extinction of gorillas. So that's one charity. And then Zasha Mamet is really passionate about girl up. And so, you know, we're, we partner with them to you know, for all the profits of the sales of this shirt that you hopefully are seeing on Instagram, all of that goes oh, to three I love charities. that. I think it's so awesome to just tie that in. And it really gives you some bigger driving forces in this life. You know, I, I think that's so great. So one thing that I love to think about and talk about, especially as a female entrepreneur, is mindset. And I think a lot of times we have limiting mindsets of what we're worthy of, of what we can earn, of what we can become. Did you struggle at all with the mindset as you entered into this saturated industry and kind of made a name for yourself? Is there anything that you can think of that you were like, that was something I really had to overcome? I think the biggest thing that I felt like I had to overcome is there's a reason why certain things are set up to make, you're made to feel like there's a cool club and a not cool club. And if you're not part of the cool club, then you're missing out on opportunities and an easier path and, you know, being the bell of the ball. And so I think for a long time, like I was talking about with the clothing, I think I just wanted to be part of that club and you waste a lot of emotion and attention. And it goes back to like, you know, just, elementary school, you want to be part of the cool girls club or high school or whatever it is, you think it's better over there. And I think that when I finally got to the place that I was like, I don't give a like who cares, you know, it's me and my customer and that's really all that matters. I think it took a long time to get there, but it was a relief because then you, you just didn't care as much about what other people were doing or how they got what they got. And you just really focused on what do I need to do for me and my business and my, you know, my company and how, you know, how do I want to live and what do I want my life to be? And let me just build it around that versus, 
you know, watching and seeing what other people oh, are getting that's and doing. So good. So I am so excited about a project that you're working on. Can you talk to us about Superwomen with Rebecca Minkoff and why you wanted to start your own podcast? This is so exciting. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I have much respect because when I was like, I'm going to start a podcast, it's going to be that hard. Oh, it's um, hard. It is a long It's hard. I just thought you could just set up a record. Cause I had someone in, you know, maybe a year ago, just come to me with a recorder and she yeah. came into my echoey office and she recorded <laughs> and she was like, thanks. And I was like, Oh, this is easy. It's not. So I went into it with that innocence and quickly learned that it was not going to be easy, but you know, I've done the same thing more or less for 13 years. And it was really nice to be able to tackle something new, have a challenge in a way that I hadn't been challenged before, learn something. And, you know, we have these fireside chats at our New York City store once a month where I interview, you know, a woman who has achieved, you know, some level of success. And the whole goal is that I want women to leave that fireside chat being inspired and making change within their lives. And so I thought, you know what, these stories could be amplified and they could be told on a podcast. So that was kind of the jumping off point for Superwomen. And so I've interviewed, you know, editor-in-chiefs of magazines like Allure and Marie Claire, the founder of Refinery29, to a friend who's a chef of restaurants. So it's a wide swath of women who, you know, I don't really just only want to talk about their career. I want to talk about, you know, different facets of their lives, their personal lives, you know, things that people would be surprised to know about them. Usually if it's appropriate, I share something that will <laughs> kind of make you spit your coffee out that about me that you didn't know. So I think that it's conversational and fun, but it's been a great learning. Oh, and it, it and is. It's really I fun have too. to encourage you. We've had our show for about two years and over two years now. And podcasting is just this incredible way, like where I look at, you know, just sitting down with you and having a conversation and I'm like, what a gift a microphone can be to connect you to these powerful stories. So I know it's a lot of work and it is the learning curve is so steep, but once you get it down, man, it is such a blessing. So I'm so excited to tune in. I'm so excited that you're doing this. This is awesome. I want to know, like personal, Rebecca, how have you changed throughout this entire journey? Like over the last 20 years, you've been through a lot career and life and how have you changed as a person? Wow, that is a, that Let's is do it. Make me awesome. spit my coffee out, will um, you? <laughs> I I think that I've become stronger. I think there were things early on that I didn't feel confident enough to just to talk back or to use my voice. I was going, you know, I had I'll never forget I was taking a woman who both people in this story will be remain nameless, but I was taking a famous woman to a really big event that we bought her ticket. We were supposed to dress her head to toe. I've had fit her in the morning and then I left and I pulled up in the car that evening to pick her up. And guess what? She was wearing another designer's jewelry and another designer's bag. And I didn't feel like I could say to her, Hey, please go back upstairs and please change into what we did. This is a really big deal for me and I'm known for bags. And so you should do this. And so, you know, all the pictures that went everywhere were of her not wearing my bag and jewelry. And I was just sick to my stomach cut to new event, new woman, 
and we get into the car and the, the bag's overstuffed. And I was like, do you want me to hold some of your stuff? Because you can't walk the red carpet like that. And she's like, no, I'm not wearing the bag. And I was like, oh, I'm not having this moment again. And I was like, you will be wearing the bag. And she's like, oh no, it's all about the dress. And I was like, yes, I'm really glad you love the dress so much. And I know what you want to do. I know you want both hands to be able to like fling it around on the red carpet, but you need to wear the bag. And her publicist was there. I might be sharing too much, but her publicist was there and was like, she won't be wearing the bag. She really wants to make it about the dress. And I just remember standing on the red carpet and she had started the red carpet without the bag. And I was like, this is not happening to me again. And I literally went up to the publicist. I ripped the bag out of her hands and I shoved it on the woman. And I was like, you will wear this bag now. And I probably wouldn't have been that confident or ballsy a few years ago, but I feel like I've just gotten to the point where if I know it's something that was agreed upon and it was something that everyone knew that they should do. If someone's not going to hold up their end of the bargain, I now will be like, Nope, this is what was talked about and agreed on. We're going to do it. And so I'm very happy that I have that, I guess, resolve. It doesn't sound like a big thing, but when you're dealing with high profile people or people you might not want upset, you kind of have to be ballsy like that. How else have I changed? I think as I've become a mother, I've become you know, my priorities have changed. I used to work till 11 every night before kids. And then I had my son and I decided I wanted to be a present mom. I didn't want to just poop out a baby and then have someone else raise him. So I'm, you know, I really had to rely on my team and that other people can do things better than you. And that's great. Shouldn't be like, I'm the know-it-all and you should listen to my opinion all the time. You know, I think a great advice I was given even recently was like, if you're going to pay someone every day, they should take a load off of you and they should maybe do it better than you. Otherwise, what's the point of hiring them? So I've been really trying to approach hires within the company of like, do you do this better than me? Great. (laughs) I love that. I feel like the further you get into it, the more that you're like, I am ready to be humbled. Show me what I'm doing wrong and do it better so that I don't have to do it ever again. (laughs) You know, for up until my, I had a baby in February and up until that I was still in the, throws in the day-to-day of like the thread color is red and the hardware (laughs) color is silver. And I think I reached a point where I was like planning my maternity leave and I was like, oh, I'll just come into the office like one day a week and I'll do all my approvals and I'll meet with the team. And then, you know, my brother floated this idea of this woman who'd been working with us for three years and he's like, what about her? Like, why doesn't she take the reins and you have a leave? And I was like, you know what? that's a great idea. I had never thought about that before that that could even be possible. And I really just said, if she does a better job than me, then great. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to continue the myth that I do everything myself and no one helps me. I'm really here because of being, you know, these incredible women and some of the few men that work with me. So why not let them own a territory and succeed at it and give them credit? Oh, you are like speaking straight into my heart as we're preparing for maternity leave and we are hustling so hard, but I am so serious about taking time off, like actual time off. And I think that, you know, didn't we start all of this to have that freedom? And then somewhere along the way, you are working those 12, 14, 16 hour days. And it's like, wait a minute, like, Yes, I am passionate about this, but I am really ready for my business to feel insignificant and for my baby to feel like everything for a little while. 
Yeah. I mean, I had never taken a full leave before with my first, I went back at six weeks with my second, I came into the office every week and I really just, you know, having done it the third time, I took two full months off and then I worked and then I electively went back part-time for the third month just because personally I was bored out of my mind. But (laughs) I think especially for new moms or first time moms, it's so key to take that time with your kid if you can. You know, if you can afford or you have, you know, a partner that can help support you, like you never get that time back. And to me, that time is magical. It's just this blissful time when it's the only time I say like when everyone's like for even a week, like really happy for you. They don't give you any of their problems. <laughs> all about your baby. Oh. Everyone leaves you the f- alone yeah. and you just to, like bliss out and then real life cuts in. So take the maternity leave and like milk it. Uh, I'm ready. I am so ready. So we are winding down. What is one thing you wish you would have known about entrepreneurship before starting your own business? I guess I wish I would have been better at finance and reading spreadsheets and, you know, looking at a profit and loss statement and knowing what I was looking at. I Mm -hmm. think a lot of the mistakes we made early on could have been avoided by just having more control over that area and not saying, oh, someone else will worry about that for me. And I think, you know, I would have built the business in the beginning to hopefully like have made money and not been like, you know, losing money the first few years. Mm -hmm. That is awesome. So I just want to know out of straight up curiosity, what are you excited about right now? Like what is firing you up? What are you pumped up about what's happening in your world? I would say two things. One is the podcast, which launches on September 18th. So I'm really excited for that. The second is I was in a meeting a few weeks ago. No, it was more like a few months ago with a company that hosts lots and lots of other companies. And they had no way to sort of separate out who were the female companies versus the male, the female founded companies versus, you know, just on their roster. And a colleague and I were talking at the end of the meeting and we're like, there should just be a symbol that would like, you could put next to the female founded companies because studies show that 80% of women will support other women if they knew that they were female founded companies. So I sort of had this aha moment, like no one has launched a symbol, you know, you see made in New York or wherever you live, you see these certain symbols, you know, if something's organic, you know, because you look at the symbol and there's nothing like that for female founded companies. So I took it upon myself uh, (laughs) to launch this seal, uh, which we launched on Thursday. It's called female founder collective. And the whole goal of it is to get the seal widely recognized, used and implemented so that, you know, you pass by a store, you see it, you're like, Oh, female founded company, or you go to a website you see it, you know, eventually we'll have a database sort of like an Angie's list of just companies that you can search for that are female founded. And I think, you know, the goal is to make other women rich because it's, it's proven that when we have wealth, we actually grow our communities. We invest it back into our communities more than men. And I think, you know, a friend of mine said, if we just make women rich, the conversation changes very quickly. And so I think, you know, my goal is that many other women become not rich, but, you know, more successful. And so this symbol, I hope, becomes nationwide and really gets recognized as like the way that women can really start supporting other women. So that's been exciting. And when you've been in business for 13 years 
and it still feels like it's uphill most of the time. This was really refreshing because as I was pitching this and as I'm pitching it even yesterday, it's yes, 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 yes. How can I help? Yes, yes. Love this. Oh my God, this is amazing. And it's just a good feeling to have because when you're running a business, it's a different intention. It's a different ask of people, but this is like for all of us. And so it's been really nice to just have it be on its own momentum, like kind of like a watershed on its own. Well, you know that I'm over here saying, yes, that is so awesome. We are a women-based team. Everyone on my team is female and we love girl power. So I think that is so cool. Way to go, girl. (laughs) Awesome. Well, where can everybody connect with you, look into you, shop? Like, Give us all the places that we can get more of you into our lives. So if you want to see the brand, you can look at at Rebecca Minkoff on Instagram or RebeccaMinkoff.com. If you want to see just my children, you can follow my private account at Becky Bellour, B-E-L-L-O-U-R. And when I, I think sometimes people follow it and they're like, get excited. Like they're going to see a sneak into like, I don't know, other <laughs> parts of my life. And then they're quickly like, oh man, this is just her kids. I'm out. That is so warning you literally is my kids and you can, download my podcast on the 18th super women with Rebecca Minkoff. What else? And you can go to femalefoundercollective.com and sign up to get the seal because I really want it on everyone's website, their hang tags and store windows and really all over the place. That is amazing. Well, Thank you so much for showing up today, sharing your heart. I am a giant fan. I'm so excited to follow along with your podcast and to just keep watching you continue to grow and change the world. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And good luck with that, baby. Oh, thanks. Okay. I knew she was going to be amazing, but that was awesome. One of my favorite parts about that interview with Rebecca is how she talked about for so many years, she tried to blend in, tried to do what the other designers were doing, tried to create these epic runway shows, and it wasn't really translating all the way down to our clients. How many of us get caught up in that as we're building our businesses, we're worried about impressing our peers or the industry we're in when really, if we just focused on serving our clients and our customers a little bit better, we would probably find success faster. I thought it was fascinating the way that she shared about her journey and those little breaks and the big breaks and those moments along the way where you wonder, can I really keep going? And for someone that has so much experience, it's just really refreshing to see we all start somewhere and you don't have to forget about those humble beginnings as you grow. I hope you leave the show feeling inspired and encouraged today to chase those big goals and to really get after the things that you've been dreaming about. I would love to hear from you like always. So hop on over to Instagram at Gold Digger Podcast and let us know what your big takeaway was from today's show. Until next time, Gold Diggers, keep on digging your biggest goals and keep on showing up because we love serving you this content every single week. Thanks for listening to the Gold Digger Podcast. Dive into the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at www.golddiggerpodcast.com. If you love the show, share it with a friend. The more the merrier. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time, you gold digger you.